You're listening to Small But Mighty, the podcast of the Small Nonprofits Alliance, the online hub for Australia's small charities. Hello and welcome to another episode of Small But Mighty, the podcast of the Small Nonprofits Alliance. My name's Bianca Crocker. I'm the founder of the Alliance and excited to have with me here today a long time friend and colleague in the nonprofit sector, Katie Hooper, the CEO of the Foster Care Association of Victoria. Hi, Bianca. Hi, Katie. Thanks for coming today and being part of our podcast. My pleasure. It's so great to have you. You've been at the Foster Care Association for 10 years and you're actually on the way out, an outgoing CEO and um, some big changes coming. But we just wanted to take the time to reflect on the successes that you've had in the small organisation over the time that you've been there. You've been um, there, as I said, for a long time now. Can you tell me what led you to take on that role at the Foster Care Association? Yeah, so I was in a program manager's role um, and have always worked in um, not-for-profits and actually always in child welfare, sort of um, child, youth and families. Um, And and was a foster carer. So I also um, am am a foster carer. And um, was offered the role just as an interim role between um, two um, CEOs. Someone had finished and they needed someone immediately um, to uh, settle the ship. It was really rocky. Um, The department were thinking about, um, you know, are the goals being met? What should the goals be? So the board at that time thought we don't want to put someone into such an unstable Um, period let's get Katie in think about it for three months and then advertise (laughs) so that was 10 years ago so (laughs) um, yeah (laughs) so after three months we quickly stabilized and confirmed with the department our goals and that we were on track with those we had to make a couple of changes Um, we probably had moved a little bit off mission and um, government said you know we need you back on mission Um, And I said to the board, you know, it's an easy decision. If we say yes and move back on mission, um, it can continue easily um, or we have to, you know, think about are we going to argue that, you know, the slight variation is the right one. So the board took, you know, probably an easier decision um, and moved back just focusing on foster care. And uh, so that resolved quite quickly. Then moving into... Um, just setting a couple of things in place um, prior to advertising. I said, why don't I stay for another six months, set a few things in place, um, and, yeah. So Great, yeah. So that is a long three months and then a long six months as well. Um, and 10 years later, um, you've done some wonderful things. So can you just tell us briefly what is the main work and mission of the Foster Care Association and, um, and why does that work inspire you? Yeah, so the Foster Care Association is a peak body for foster carers. Um, It is about the voice of foster carers. Um, In Victoria, there are 2,000 household foster care families that um, care. And so to to strive for improvement and to strengthen um, foster care for the children and young people in care is absolutely what's inspiring to me. Um, to to um, hear the voice of carers and be able to share that to make improvement is, yeah, is just inspiring and terrific. So that's yeah. what I love. Yeah, that's fabulous. 
Um, upon reflection, is there any um, perhaps story in your own life, maybe as a child or earlier in your life, that has perhaps hinted that you might end up working in this um, non-profit space? Yeah, um, I haven't really thought a lot about that. Um, so my parents um, both came over from UK, um, dad from England, mum from Ireland, and were very community-minded. So always dad, you know, worked as manager of finance for um, a couple of big organisations, but coached our basketball teams, um, you know, was on school council, um, you know, mum had an open-door policy and there was always kids around and families. They had a nice expat group of um, friends um, as well as neighbours, our Italian neighbours um, are still our best friends. Um, so a really um, community-minded upbringing. Um, and early on, um, I um, had some experience at sort of 13, 14 with the Children's Hospital. Yep. Um, I had a brother who was unwell um, with leukaemia and um, died sort of at 14. So had some experience with the Children's Hospital and um, saw the doctors and nurses. And I remember the moment that I thought, I don't want to do be a doctor. Mm. I don't want to fix the, um, the illness. You know, I want to help the person. Yeah. Um, and... I remember having conversations with dad and dad was like, what is that then? What is it that you do? And a couple of the nurses who really um, branched out and did some wellbeing sort of work. Mm -hmm. And then I did a few camps with kids um, with cancer and then through the children's hospital, other things at 16 and 17, um, really, really saw that um, people in those examples, it was children, but absolutely could, um, you know, strengthen themselves given the right environment. Yeah, and that support. Yeah, yeah. so um, knew that that was that sort of community development or giving people, um, yeah, some support to be their best was absolutely then my sort of, you know, life mission and um, did I did do a science degree straight out of high school and then knew that I wanted to do social work degree and then have always worked in child welfare. Yeah, that's fabulous, fabulous. Um, children, all the different organisations that you've worked with over the years, you know, there's been so many hundreds and thousands of children, I would assume, that have really been um, benefited from the work that you've been doing, which is fabulous. Um, over your time at the Foster Care Association, um, you've seen a large amount of growth, both in the team that you've worked with, your members, and also the overall revenue. Can you tell us a little more about what this growth has looked like and how it's kind of come about? Yeah, look, I um, it's interesting, like you said, now, you know, after 10 years reflecting back, and I actually, you know, I've still got a couple more weeks Um, in the role so haven't actually gotten to that reflection back so Mm -hmm. it's interesting so we'll see how my answer goes to this but um, I think it was a slow and steady so um, when I started there was two um, effective full-time positions uh, and we were taking calls we were racing to some meetings Um, We had a couple of good KPIs and I really thought in that first three months, but then in that first six months, you know, what's the data? Are we really achieving these goals? One example was we were doing some phone calls. So we Mm -hmm. were taking some calls from carers, 
I think we were counting every time the phone rung and I was like, is that really, because we, we spoke to that one carer three times and spoke to the department about them and the agency. So while there was 17 calls, we counted that as 17, it was kind of one issue. Yeah. And I was like, are we collecting the right data? Is that 17 calls or did we have to spend, you know, three hours on one issue? Yeah. So really digging in and thinking, are we collecting the right data? Are we strategically going to the right meetings or are we scattergun kind of going to that meeting but missing the next one because we're too busy but going to the other meeting so really that first year was just about saying what are we doing are we doing it well are there things we shouldn't be doing um you know strengthening the board making sure they're clear about what they're doing what we're doing so that was really that first year and didn't make really any or many changes Um, looking at the budget, which was probably a um, couple of hundred thousand yep. um, grant from the department. Um, and then at the end of that year, we were like clear about what we're doing, mm. clear about, you know, how we're doing it. And then said, in fact, we need another hundred thousand immediately for this phone line to do some data um, to get a better database. It was still just an Excel spreadsheet, but yep. to get that still fix the Excel spreadsheet, get that right so we really knew what we were doing. Yeah. Um, and so then it was probably the next two years that were busy just really, again, doing the right thing. Lots of relationships. So yeah. your point about members, lots, many members were like, oh, I don't really know what the association does. We get a newsletter occasionally, which is good. And the members are foster carers? Yeah. So yeah. foster care families across Victoria – So having our database again, our member database, making sure people are on, making sure there's a process to get them on Mm. so that we can talk to our people. Um, So that was that sort of three years again. And then saying, I actually need a member manager. Only two days a week, you know, department, I need another, you know, $40,000 so that we're all really clear about who our people are, they're clear who we are, and a few trips. I love... Travel, love all travel, mm-hmm. but getting out to, you know, Warrnambool, getting out to, um, well, all across Victoria, up to Mildura, and just saying to people, what do you want from us? Yeah. Are we doing it? Um, and But having people back in the office, still taking those calls, still checking that our members are being communicated to, relationships with the agencies. But then after three years and a couple of new bits of positions, yep. um, really saying, okay, this is what you now need to fund us to do. Um, and our, you know, membership, we've got to get our membership database a bit better, um, our relationship database with um, agencies a bit better, making sure our phone calls, these are the issues that carers are calling us about. Um, our newsletter, we then put on um, someone um, actually just six hours a week mm-hmm. to just focus on our newsletter. Um, it's we, That's another priority um, for the new CEO um, to think about now with technology. So we, mm. we do email the newsletter out now, yeah. um, but it's not a web-based one. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know what that, you know, what that'll yeah, look yeah, like yeah. next. But not that we, you know, I think our content still sound. I think, you know, we still may post it because some people still yeah, like that. Yeah, absolutely. But so for me, it was always just really, what are we meant to be doing? Are we doing it really well? Um, and how do we, what What really do we need? Not just a dream of, oh, if only we had another million dollars. Yeah. 
just stepping through it. And being quite strategic by the sounds of it. Um, and you said the words, you know, it was a, like it's been slow and steady over that 10 years. Um, you talked about your growth, uh, your being, you know, two full-time equivalent and a couple of hundred thousand dollars. What is the size of the organisation in comparison to that now as you sort of on your, you know, last few weeks there, what are, what is the size of the organisation now? <clears throat> yeah, so it's probably um, it's $2 million um, organisation now, although some of that is um, we sort of broker some training. Yeah. So there's a, probably a million dollars yep. that we hold and we um, have a statewide training calendar. Yeah. So we, you know, um, broker some training, yep. uh, which is really terrific. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so the budget looks um, probably better than it sort of actually is. But um, staff, and I'm not sure the full-time equivalent, there's f- 15 yeah. desks. Yeah. Um, and that varies from um, just under two days a week. There's two staff that do, you know, leave on time to pick up kids, but do, you know, almost two days a week. Um, and there's others that are full-time. Yeah, yeah wow. Um, and again, that's a tricky thing because you've got a bit of a part-time workforce yeah um but also it's allowed for strategic expertise yeah so that person who does six hours a week on the newsletter doesn't get dragged into um you know what about this other fly or this other thing it's a quality newsletter that hits its deadline every time some good relationships with who we get content from yeah so it's probably about um Today it's probably about, it's probably almost nine or ten EFT with 15 desks. Yeah, Yeah, that's wonderful. Fabulous growth over that time. But what I think is interesting is for a lot of smaller organisations out there, you know, everyone's obviously wanting to find more money because there's great need for the various organisations and programs and services that are being delivered. But um, you guys had a, like you say, slow and steady growth but very strategic it sounds and purposeful so it was you know very well thought out in the way and the direction and the move forward and I think data um is king so strategy strategic and data so you know I said there are members out there we want to have all their details for this reason and um we now can pull reports about um how many members when they exit um, the board just asked on Tuesday night. Um, so currently, as someone decides not to be a member anymore, it could be they're still a foster carer. They just don't appreciate us. That never happens, of course. <laughs> um, but it could be they've stopped being fostering. They could still continue to be a member or it could be that they're moved out of the area. So we've always collect collected data on exit is it because someone's passed away Mm. um is it because they're no longer fostering is it because they have we've lost them so we do lose a couple of people if we didn't have a phone number for them if their email address has sort of you know gone off into the never never and they've moved house then we may not quite be able to find them so there's a couple that we Mm. lose but it may be that they've stopped being foster carers as well so they you know aren't reminding us um, but the board now want to know what that no longer fostering is. Mm. Is that because they are older? Is it because there's um, been an issue? Yep. Um, so we're just about to break, you know, a simple category. There's only, uh, we probably have about 200, oh, we probably almost have 200 exiting members a year. Yep. 
um, and there'd be a couple that pass away or that we lose. Um, so we're probably only talking about, you know, 120 that are no longer fostering. Yeah. But the board are like, why not? Yeah. And uh, so the member relations um, person, she's on study leave at the moment, but as soon as she comes back, you know, we'll start getting that data. And there may be an argument, um, I think there'll be an argument post that to do real exit interviews with those mm. people. Yeah. But I, right now I can't say, and I don't know if I need, you know, $100,000 or $10,000 yeah. um, to get someone to do those phone calls or is it an email? So we'll do six-month data collection on why are they no longer caring yep. and that might give us the answers or it might be, and if we had a small amount of money, we could do some exit interviews and get some richer data. Yeah. But I'll wait until we yeah. kind of know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's interesting, I think at the Foster Care Association, obviously um, you've been you know, primarily government funded for, for most of, well, for all of this time. Um, and it was only until four or five years ago that you um, didn't actually have DGR status as an organisation, so you weren't doing a lot of your own fundraising. So when you talk about your members and um, the data that you try and collect on them to understand them better and to communicate with them, it is, um, for some other charities, that's probably the way they also talk about their actual supporter base and their donors. Mm. So I know you do have um, some donors and stuff as well, which we might talk about in a moment, but it's I think there's a lot of similarities between a member base and what you need to collect from them and the importance of it. So it's it's really interesting that you just said about the board now asking, well, why are these people leaving? Because I know with donors, financial supporters, you, you know, we spend so much time trying and money trying to get these supporters and then we don't monitor when they leave or when they don't keep donating to us. Um, and I imagine as a foster carer, there's a whole lot more that goes into it in terms of training, mm. um, government, you know, funding and the love and support that they and the experience that they have. You want to really try and keep them in the system for as long as possible. So it's really it's great to hear that you're um, you know, that you're looking at that, that even though it's a small group, but it's key to mm. why they because that could really um, highlight some issues, underlying issues that can be pre potentially prevented moving forward and stuff. That's right. I think our, yeah, that's right. It leads straight into our advocacy work. So mm. I, you know, I'm a carer, so I can give some experience, but I don't have everyone's experience. Mm. So you're right, getting little bits of data from people that call us. Some of these people possibly don't call us. Mm. Something's happening out there in foster care world that they've made the decision to leave. So there is more data there. And I absolutely, you know, recommend to everyone to look at what we've sort of already got. And um, yeah, so I think data is really key because mm. I think we're surprised, um, you know, uh, again, for us, we've had growth. So I haven't had lots of staff exit. Yeah. Uh, I've had just a staff member um, resign today and will absolutely set up an exit interview. Mm. She would say, oh, no, I love it all. I'm just off to another thing. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we don't want to really reflect yeah. on again, well, what is this other thing? And she's studying. So it's hopefully it's that she's um, moving into a slightly different thing. But, yeah, what do, what do we get out of that? Because there aren't many staff that leave mm. and why... 
um, you know, it's the right decision for her, but, yeah, how does that information mm. inform the organisation? Mm. That's fabulous. Um, so I just um, touched on the fact that a few years ago, so so you've been with the organisation, sorry, for 10 years, but the organisation has been around for how long, roughly? Yeah, it's interesting. So it was, um, as many organisations, a committed group of foster carers volunteering their time. So I think it got incorporated 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it then got some funding, that kind of $100,000, um, probably uh, 18 years ago. So there was um, a few tasks being done and someone put on for five years prior to me. Um, and then there was a little bit of um, you know, disruption for a year with a couple of people moving in and out. And again, pro- absolutely growing pains from we did it all, we were the committee mm. um, and we weren't paid. Why are we paying someone to yeah. do it? To an yep. amazing um, you know, first person in to then when that person decided to move on in a really unsettled time. And so I was probably really lucky to just sort of say, look, I'll do what I can Mm. and just, and not, you know, not to have too much ego in it, just to kind of say, let's see, I assume we want to fix that. And Mm. let's see, let's talk to these people. And then kind of said, let me go out and ask people what they want. I'll bring that back in and then we'll get the new CEO on, Mm. but you know, got engaged (laughs) and love all Victorian foster carers and stayed. Mm. I think one thing that you just mentioned is really interesting about um, how, you know, I think a lot of smaller, not all of them, but there's a, you know, a number of small organisations that are members of our alliance probably listening to this conversation and, and just heard you talk about, oh, you know, we were just a group of volunteers and then we, you know, why would we pay someone? But I, I think it is important for organisations as volunteers and there's many well-run organisations with purely volunteers, but I think there is a point when if you want to, perhaps be a little more strategic or um, a bit more proactive in your growth and your delivery of services that you need to take that next step and start employing someone. But for a lot of organisations, it can be tricky because you'd be like, well, we've been doing this for no cost. Why would we spend the cost there? But I understand that was before your mm. sort of time, but it's um it's interesting to see that development of your organisation over the time. And I think it still goes to having... It is, it's exactly the same thing is really tricky about, you know, what are our dreams mm. from when we, you know, when we were incorporated 25 years ago to now and what are our dreams for 25 years from now? You mm. know, I won't recognise the organisation, you know, then, mm. I hope. It'll be so amazing. Um but yeah, what are those steps and, you know, how do we do it? And we have to take time. We have to recognise that there's different stages in mm. it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's really planned. I, I can hear even from the way you're talking about it, it's a really planned, purposeful approach, which sometimes for small organizations, they get a bit frazzled and mm-hmm. a bit manic running around doing lots of things because there's a so many opportunities coming their way that they're afraid to miss out um, or they're working in this sort of, you know, rat race type um, way. But it does. I think the success that you've had at the Foster Care Association over the last 10 years shows and proves that that slow sort of steady sit back and like articulate who we are and what we want to do and then just slowly piece by piece work through that. I think that's really um, as highlighted 
um, today as well. So I know um, I mentioned earlier that you got DGR status a couple of years ago. So some of the listeners might have um, heard you mention government funding. So obviously you've been quite heavily government funded. Um, not, I say heavily, but I mean primarily a lot of your sources um, has been through different government agreements. Um, so some of our listeners might be like, oh, that's kind of easy, etc., etc." But of course, I know as someone who's worked in the fundraising space for a number of years now and worked with, um, with the Foster Care Association, but other organisations, there are some challenges that go along with having a primarily government funded organisation because when you want to do something a little different, a little new, it can be really hard to um, change people's perception in the community that you're not primarily government, or that you're not all government funded and that there's opportunity to do other things. Um, and also then with funding bodies, sometimes philanthropic funding bodies are not super interested in what you're doing because they see that you've got this government funding, even though there's so much more potential. Can you talk to a little bit about how... Um, you know, the process, not the detailed process around getting your DGR status, but just how the organisation made the decision to shift in that sort of direction and, and how you've gone about that in terms of wanting to get the DGR status so that then you could do a bit, bit of your own fundraising. Yeah, so um, it took a while. Mm -hmm. It takes a little bit of thinking about, you know, kind of compliance. So a little bit of thinking about are our rules, um, you know, our constitution, is our mission, you know, able to get DGR status. And um, so that took a bit of time. Um, then once it was approved, um, like you said, it's still really tricky as to where we get what... Um, funding from so you know state government fund children in care and uh, so it and it's all of our responsibility I think to look after our kids in Victoria but yeah who out of fund what bits should be funded by government what bits aren't or shouldn't and so it, I think that again took a little bit of time to for us to think through um, so we Again, then the other thing I think that's really significant is, again, the cost and the priority of fundraising. Mm. So which it's not, a, it, can, it can be not a huge cost, but it is someone's um, work. Yeah. You know, again, it's a database or it's, it's supporting your donors. Um, it's, uh, you know, continually doing that, you mm. know, the last thinking about how it looks for our members because... Mm -hmm. um, one member did say to me, I feel a bit odd, you know, asking people to support foster carers because um, I'm a foster carer. Mm -hmm. So I'm asking people to fund me mm -hmm. to buy a bike for the, mm -hmm. you know, I can just buy a bike for the child in my care, which not every foster carer can. But yeah. So there's a bit of um, culture in the organisation to think through how we do it, who's it right for, what's our messaging, who's it to. Um, and we, you know, we're lucky, Bianca, that you, you know, have been across a few things and you were able to help us think through that stage. But, you know, at a couple of, and we're not there yet, we, mm. you know, we haven't funded a resource for fundraising. Mm -hmm. um, and okay. I, my, my comms person who's got that, this as a line in her position description, bless Anna, did say the other day, you know, I've done all right, raised $48,000 mm. um, last financial year with no time allocation to it. 
Um, and there was, you know, some support elsewhere. And we got a couple of walk-ins. Some gorgeous person walked in and said, I want to give you guys $10,000. So that mm. doesn't happen every day. Yeah, yeah. So Anna looks like her first year was probably <laughs> better than it really was. <laughs> but it is really tricky yeah. and what the next year will be like. So, yeah, it's tricky. It's interesting, though, as well, when you say uh, you haven't, you know, about making that decision to put a resource into it, similar to you know, 10, 15 years ago when your organisation went from being all volunteers to, okay, now we're going to pay someone to do something. So then it's making that decision about, okay, now we really want to get serious about that donor engagement and, and raising some funds outside the government funding. So what are we going to have to invest as an organisation? And, and you're right. Again, from the organisations that I've worked with, it is that cultural shift both at the board level and the organisational level because sometimes if you're a um, primarily government-funded organisation, your staff can just uh, have a different um, mindset around how, how their programs are funded and, well, why do we have to do this? Why don't we just ask the government for more money or whatever? So um, it's that's interesting. And I think also being clear about what we want funding for. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly we're not fundraising for my tea and coffee. Yeah. Um, clearly we're fundraising and have, in fact, focused on specifically um, some needs of foster families. Yeah. So, um, again, trying to be really strategic, think through, you know, what is, what is our ask? And again, this person who walked in at another time in the, in our history, that person would have said, oh, I want to make a donation. We would have said, oh, we do lots of stuff and we support carers and we do advocacy and, you know, we do, we're really very busy. And that person would have gone, okay, I'll see you later. Mm. But instead we said, we've got a caring for carers program mm. that we're just launching. What we want to do is, um, support carers, um, you know, give them some time out to network, to reflect on their role um, through long lunches, through um, retreats that they have, you know, spa weekend or whatever, and um, send them back into the home, back into their caring role. And that person was like, that's amazing, Mm. and said, I'd donate to that. So it is, again, that culture shift, that mind shift from we're busy, we're doing lots of things, we've got funding and we're really, we are doing a great job to this is what we want to, you know, focus on, fundraise for and um, celebrate and focus on that. Mm. And that was obviously that um, caring for the carers um, work that you were doing was obviously something outside of the government remit. So you could be very clear about that ask from the community because that's not something that's funded that's and right. that's something you obviously have to be careful about when you're asking for funds outside of the government funding yeah yeah while the foster care association would still be considered a smaller organization uh, even at the dollars that you're you're now at how has um the additional funding base that has grown over the last few years helped your organization better work towards the mission of what you do so um the mission of supporting carers and supporting children in care um, is a you know is a big one, um, and um, I think again looking at the data, looking at where we need to increase to stay within that mission. So that example we used earlier of some people leaving their membership, why are they leaving? And if we collect that and if we strengthen in that area. Um, we can improve the system for all foster carers and, of mm. course, children in their care. Um, 
so the increased funding has allowed us to follow some strategic and good opportunities mm. um, and to think to keep thinking broadly um, and think about what we need to do next. And so has it just been a layered approach? Like you've you've done some research and looked at the data and realised you've needed this, so then you've gone and done that and then the next level you've gone this way and added some more stuff. I guess what my question is, if 10 years ago if someone had said, okay, here's a million dollars or $2 million Mm. for your organisation, you can have that much every year now, would you have even known necessarily what... I mean, everyone says, oh, we want more money, but, again, it's really about what do you do with that extra money? Yeah, no, definitely it was growth. It yeah. was it was layered. It was what do we next need to do? And so the uh, Carer Cafe, which is the statewide training mm-hmm. strategy, mm-hmm. is a really interesting mm-hmm. example. Um, preparing for the new um, CEO to come on, um, I was thinking, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. And then I found, um, you know, about... Uh, four years ago, it's been, oh, so five years ago, so it's been going for two years now, um, into its third, us saying what carers need, I didn't think we were going to deliver it. Mm. I thought what carers need is local training close to them that's on the correct topic. And I see I've written that in a few papers. I've said it a few times. And now, um, five years later, that's what we've got. Yeah. But at the time, if someone had said, would you run it? I would have gone, no, how do I do a statewide and, you know, I'm no trainer. Um, So that's right. We we thought about something. We realised there was an advocacy need. Then the department said, well, how is this going to happen? And I was like, well, how is it going to (laughs) happen? So at the moment, uh, there's a couple of things we're advocating for. So one of them, we get some funding, significant funding. We get about $170,000 for our carer helpline. Um, And at the moment, there's some conversations about um, there's, you know, the kinship carers, there's a couple of other groups. How should that phone line be? Should we, should the foster care association have it? Should there be a joint up one? Mm. And I don't know what the answer is yet, um, to it. I know what we do well and what we do super well is we're available for, we're actually only nine to five, um, but we're available for the call and, um, we, So uh, we're available for the call, we take the call, we have expertise in the team. So I know what we do really well and carers say that we're helpful. I think we need a little bit more teeth because we're no, um, you know, governance or, um, you know, we're no body that can, yeah, growl at anyone. So I think our next step is wherever this um, phone line is, it needs to have a little bit more teeth. Yeah. It needs, you know, to be... um, but I don't know where it'll be. Mm. So in five years from now, someone might say, oh, my gosh, the Foster yeah. Care Association does have a statewide. The other thing that the team often say, well, I, I'm not even sure if it will be a Foster Care Association or yeah. a Carer Association yeah. for out-of-home care, who knows. 
Um, but we're on that journey. The other thing the team says is um, anyone out in Warrnambool, we sit in Collingwood, so we've yep. got an office in Collingwood. How do we offer statewide? Mm. Um, and we're learning with technology. So some of the training is now podcasts yep. and webinars. So that's one option. Um, the team have done a couple of Skype meetings yep. where the carer, well, one did a you know FaceTime meeting yeah. virtually um, again, as a, as a sector, we're a bit slow on that. Um, or we sometimes drive to Warrnambool if it's yeah. really stuck. Yeah. So I think there'll be some changes in that. But we've got the data that says we supported, you know, 15 people this month in Warrnambool. Yeah. So if we were to pilot something, if I was to get some funds and we piloted something, an outreach sort of yeah. role, how do we do that? Where do we do that? Who else has got examples of that? Yeah. So... I think, again, they have to be strategic decisions, lay it on. Um, and Carer Cafe was a huge, yeah. it was $1.2 million. Um, and I was um, tenacious about saying carers will see training in the first three months. Yeah. You know, we would all, everyone would love a roll up and a think about it and let's do some big planning. And, um, but, that's not the way I was like, mm. got to get something out yeah. there immediately. And now, so now two years later, I just had a discussion with that team and I was like, we've got to draw back a little bit, keep the calendar full, yep. but are we, you know, hitting the right topics? Mm. Have we got the pathway correct? So if it's a new carer, do they know out of the whole calendar which they should go to? Is there some advanced learning um, and make that argument for the next thing. Yeah, that sounds so fabulous. It'll be it'll be very interesting to see. Um, as I mentioned, I, I know I've worked with the organisation a little bit over the last few years personally, so it'll be interesting to see where it does go over the next five years and, and mm. how that looks for the organisation as someone new comes into the role as well. Um, so just thinking about obviously you're leaving and I know you said you haven't had a huge amount of time for reflection in your role what what is one of the things I'm sure there's many but what's one of the things that you are most proud of during your time at the foster care association so um I think well, again, on mission, the voice of carers, mm -hmm. I think the thing I'm most proud of is getting the carer advisory groups up. Mm -hmm. um, and current Minister Donnellan in Victoria um, has, you know, possibly for the first time that I have heard, has asked for an advisory group of young people. So yeah, not through true. us, through the Create Foundation. Yeah. But again, it's you know, it works for us to have advisory groups mm. and, um, again, thinking through, you know, if a group of carers meet with minister and meet regularly and they're, you know, they're used to meeting with minister, um, you know, what's our communication? And I remember our board met with Minister Donnellan and he listened and he was super terrific and we have a board member who's had a care experience and he was, you know, engaged with that um, board member um, and, you know, not long later, um, I hear that he wants a, you know, youth advisory group. Mm. So to have the participants, you know, having a voice, yeah. um, I'm just, that's the way it's, yeah. you know, it's the answer. So really proud that we were able to, you know, trial and get that up over this sort of last three years. Yep. And, um, 
you know, it all kind of happens at the same time because there's lots more co-design. Yeah. So government are saying, well, we can't sit here in um, the Department of Health and Human Services and make decisions about programs. We need to be engaging with carers at a time that we've already got these carer advisory groups. Mm. So we're all kind of doing some better work with mm. service users. I think that, and that can probably go, um, that, that that's a wonderful thing that you've been doing there, but I think that can probably go across to many organisations because most organisations are working with some sort of a beneficiary or end user or person or families or cohort of people um, who really should be able to, um, they're connected with them. So the charities and often small charities are really great at doing that. They're being, they really have their finger on the pulse of what's happening with this cohort of people um, or with the population group that they serve. So um, I think being able to do that and do that well and then even connect back into whether it be government or other service providers to provide that information is always really fabulous. So that's excellent. Um, just a couple last questions. Um, what for you does, um, or what for your organisation, I guess, does being small but mighty mean to your organisation? Yeah, well, look, I think, again, it's the same thing. I think it's, you know, we're, we, aren't, we aren't tiny, but we're small, um, but we have our members behind us. Mm-hmm. That same point, we have a um, strong, uh, you know, mission, which is to support um, carers, foster carers, and um, our members, um, our service users, our carers are so amazing that we are only strong because of them. Mm. Um, and they are clear and they tell us um, as, you know, as a membership, you know, when we're doing things well or when I'm not doing things well, <laughs> they're also happy to um, tell us that. And I think that's our might yeah. is that we have, uh, you know, a terrific, you know, vision, terrific mission, which is to support children in care and carers. Um, and they're mighty. They're yeah. amazing. And I do have to think of ways to have their voice come through. Um, and sometimes it's through me, but often it's not because they're amazing. Yeah. Um, they've got the examples and uh, we need to keep thinking about how we do that. Yeah, great. And um, do you have any last words of wisdom or advice for others, perhaps listening to our podcast, um, others working in um, smaller organisations on their journey of being small but also being mighty in the work that they do? I think we just have to be really clear in our, you know, focus and intent. Yeah. So, again, you know, I looked at our newsletter and I said, if that's what lots of the members see... You know, it's got to be clear. I also remember, I think it was a change when we renewed our logo. Mm-hmm. Our logo was, again, um, you know, gorgeous. I really think, thought it was really cute and it was really lovely from the committee days. From um, But what is, our, what is our strength? I think our logo might change again in mm-hmm. the next, you know, five years. But for the seven years that we have, you know, we've had this one, it, it's a strong image. We use oh. it really clearly. We use it as intended. Um, so I think to be clear, you know, yeah. in all that means. About what you represent to the community. Yeah. 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 And in our communications yeah. and in our, you know, yeah. So just to be sort of really clear in everything you do. And it's a bit be strategic. You know, mm. there are 
things, you know, does that, does this other thing that we could head off chasing, does it get to our objective? And often it does, mm. and sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, nah, let's not do that right now. Let's mm. keep it on a great ideas board and, you know, it may be terrific, but, you know, tight, you know, staffing numbers, let's not do it right now. Mm. Yeah, great. Thank you, Katie. It's been so wonderful having you with us on um, this episode of our Small But Mighty podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for um, having the time. And you've been so amazing at the Foster Care Association. I know the organisation is a much stronger and uh, richer organisation for having you. And I'm sure you'll be missed, but I know that they'll go on and do some amazing things as well. So I wish you personally all the best for your next steps. Um, And thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Bianca. Thanks, everyone, for listening.